Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Every week, Mark and I get together and we talk about trending topics and current events in the wine world. So how are you this week, Mark? Everything is great, Kim. How's wonderful. things with you? Things are good. Busy, busy. We're always busy. We're always busy. So we've got some interesting and fun things to talk about this week. And as our listeners have come to know, we are big into wine education and we teach our own classes, do a lot of independent uh, wine learning. So every week we like to talk about what we have uh, Googled in the world of wine. So what did you find new and interesting on the internet this week? Well, Kim, for, uh, you know me, I like finding the top 10 of things. So mm. this week it was the top 10 wine consuming countries by capita, per capita. So you're going to test me again. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> a quiz. Take a qu- the guess. Top wine consuming countries by population. So per capita. Yeah. So you have to think now. It kind of throws you off. You got to think small that drinks a lot, mm. not big that drinks a lot because the, the population will throw it off, right? That's the way I yeah. looked at it. So how about Argentina? Argentina. Argentina was not on my top 10 list. Spit. I'll give you the first one and you'll see how small we're talking. So okay. this is per capita consumption by per li- by, by liters. So Andorra, right? Very small between uh, Spain and France. Mm-hmm. 56.9 liters consumption. That's per, pretty per, good. Right? Second is the Vatican. That should be no surprise. 56.2 and the population is only like a thousand. <laughs> right? So that And is they're all good. priests. So. so, you know, then you get to more bigger uh, countries. Croatia, Portugal, France, Slovenia, and Italy was 10th. I was going to say Portugal. So big, but drinking Mm. a lot of wine consumption. So what about you, Kim? What did you Google this week? So I Googled, what is the difference between Napa and Napa Valley on a label? So sometimes you will see just Napa or Napa County listed on a wine label, but not necessarily Napa Valley. And I was very curious about technically what this means. And what it means is that so, so something like Napa can be not only its own appellation, its own AVA, but it's also the name of the entire county. It's also the name of a town. So it has a lot of different connotations. So if you are talking about Napa Valley AVA, it's just one small section of greater Napa County. But if you have grapes from outside of Napa Valley, but still within Napa County, then you can put Napa County on your wine label. So Napa Valley is much more specific. The The soil is considered better for growing grapes. So you usually have better quality wine with the Napa Valley uh, label. I mean, that's not 100% always true, but uh, that is the difference. Yeah, that's a that's a good one, Kim, because I see that all the time. And, and I think a lot... Now, can you be w- within a Napa Valley AVA and and be outside the AVA and still be in the county? Yes. Okay, so that that kind of makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was good information. Thank you. Thank you. 
So I found an article in insider.com that talks about why in some traditional wine growing, wine making areas, they still actually stomp on the grapes by foot to make the wine. Did you know that this was still a thing, Mark? I did because, you know, we research a lot of wine. And at one time I bought a wine from Portugal and they stressed in the tech sheet that it's foot trotting. Ah. So and it made me think, you know, why, why? in research is so... Yeah. So there are, are still some port producers and then I can assume probably some other still wine producers in uh, in the same region of Portugal who utilize people stepping on the grapes to actually crush them instead of using a machine. Uh, and there are a number of different reasons why winemakers might want to do this. The human foot is actually surprisingly gentle when it comes to um, crushing grapes. So their human is heavy enough to break the grape skins and get the juice out of there, but not necessarily going to be busting the seeds inside that grape. So you want firm but gentle pressure, I guess you can say. And apparently a foot is a really good mechanism for crushing grapes. Yeah, and they actually invented a lot of uh, machines based on the action of the foot hmm. against the grape. If listeners are probably saying, oh, this is, you know, are they actually putting their feet on the grapes? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes, and you they can, are. You just Google a picture of it. No shoes, no socks, <laughs> right? Short shorts. And they and have, you do get your legs all covered in grape yeah, juice. Yeah, they get covered in juice. And they have very, what they call low tanks that they can just kind of jump in like a three foot kind of wall and they get in and people usually all grab each other's arms like a chorus line and hold on to each other because it's dangerous if they fall in. And I can imagine it's probably quite slippery. Yeah, I, I would assume they're doing that. Plus, most of the time they're having drinking parties. That's true. They're drinking with it too. And this made me think. So I was, you know, seeing these pictures in this article, and there was a video that went around along with it, and it's people just trotting grapes literally for hours. And I'm like, wow, this must get really boring. And then that's when. The, the article mentioned that there's music and there's dancing and there's drinking. I'm like, well, of course there's music and dancing because otherwise this would be so boring spending hours doing this. So it's like you're line dancing with your friends yeah, they <laughs> to make, music in order to stomp the grapes. They make a party out of it. And this is traditional. If you not in Portugal and in the Douro Valley, they... This is their tradition. So you can find wines that say this is how it was made, the traditional way. And there's been reports, like I said, if they fall in, if you fell in and no one picked you up, you're obviously either going to drown or you're going to, from the gases, you're going to get overcome. Well, at so. least this, at this point, it's not necessarily alcohol yet. It's still just grape juice. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so it, right? but it, it looked fun. Did you ever see it when, well, you're going, you're going I'm, to Spain. Are you going, going to Portugal? Um, we fly into Portugal and we get to drive through it a little bit. But we're not stopping at any wineries on the way, so no, we're not going to be able to see any uh, any foot treading of grapes. It's the wrong time of year, anyway. Well, it's uh, definitely different. I, I think it's kind of disgusting too when you think I, about and it. And that but was then, what I was thinking. Like I, you said, I was it's thinking juice, about so bringing up this topic. I'm like, ooh, are people going to be really weirded out by this? More things will be done to it after someone's toes are, are in it. So the alcohol will kill anything in there. See, now I was thinking none of the Spanish lines I know, the brands, have anything to do with feet or anything. Like now you're in America. You got barefoot, and it makes you think like someone should have that as their trade name in, in Portugal. That showing a foot or something. Only if they think that it would be beneficial to selling the wine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure to an American audience. Well, they they that don't it highlight be. that people are stepping on it a lot. No. So, well, interesting story, Kim.
You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. For more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com, and you can now find us on Twitter at Wine Education. Next, we're going to talk about an article that was in uh, drinkbusiness.com announcing another certification program that the Wine Scholar Guild has released, and Kim and I have been involved with the, it used to be the French Wine Scholar Guild, and now they've expanded so much. Now it's the Wine Scholar Guild. So Kim and I actually took French Wine Scholar program with the Guild, and then we took the instructor version of the Guild for French. And then because we were instructors, we had an offering to get into the Spanish Wine Scholar uh, program that was just released, and we took part in that. So Kim, uh, give some feedback to our listeners on the the Guild and what you think overall of it. So I really like their programming. They're a uh, U.S.-based wine education group. They're based in Washington, D.C., and I really like that their focus is on making wine really understandable at at kind of a higher level. So it's not really an intro wine program, but it really dives deep into certain areas. And really, I think if you put your mind to it and you really pay attention and study, they make it very, very easy to understand all the concepts. So I personally loved the French Wine Scholar Program. I felt like it was the thing that really helped me really understand what was going on with French wine, especially some of the more complicated areas like Burgundy. Um, So I think that their educational programs really are excellent. A lot of good information. I have the Spanish Wine Scholar book because I was also involved in taking the class and doing the program and really a lot of great information in there. I thought it was an eye-opener for him. I think we discussed this before where we had wine certifications and then when we took the French thing, how much more information, breaking down each region, each grape, the society does such a, a great job of that. We came out wanting to do more with the Guild and the information is just is a great source. And I, I'm not saying for like the average wine drinker, it would be a lot of value, but people that are learning wine and want to go that next step, this is definitely a program to look look at and they like you said Kim the online material you can take local classes we have friends who teach a lot of local classes as well you can just do the book uh, coursework yourself and they give you a year once you activate your material to take the test and, and be certified. So good material. I like that their program is very holistic. You know, it it doesn't just talk about the regions and the grapes. You know, it also talks about history and it talks about food and it talks about soil and it puts it all together. And I really um, appreciated that because I felt like knowing all of that other stuff um, makes it a complete package. And then you really comprehend what the wine is all about, especially once you then get the opportunity to either visit some of these places or you get to taste the wines. So it's they don't really focus on particular producers, which is I think a positive and a negative depending on where where you're at in knowing a lot of producers and knowing a lot of different uh, of these regions and these different grape varieties. But I really like that they're that they're able to make it so just understandable in a way that that really for me 
personally really helped helped me grow as as somebody who likes to know about wine and teaches about wine myself. Yeah, and even if you want to learn about wine but not enroll in these classes or these from these countries, you can be a member of the Wine Scholar Guild. I think it's ninety dollars a year, and they have webinars, they have all sorts of education material you can access on their website. They have mm-hmm. excellent webinars, which we have a lot of local friends who do webinars on there, and you can get a lot of information for for ninety dollars a year. It's almost like your own online wine magazine. Now, did you also get the instructor Italian Yale no, books? No. No, I haven't done anything with Italy. No. Nope. You have to get that program. I've um, Also great material. They just started that, I think, uh, two years ago. So good stuff. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We're your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark on his website, franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. It's another article that we ran across, which has a lot of helpful tips and hints and things that we hadn't thought about before, how to be a better wine taster, according to scientists. And we talk about tasting wine all the time, you know, how to, how to get better at tasting wine and how to get better at being able to describe what you're smelling and what you're tasting. And I really liked that this article kind of gave some things that we hadn't thought about before. Yeah. And there's always a lot of talk out there. Someone who is a super, you know, quote, super taster of wine. Everybody tastes things differently. Uh, Women are a better taster of wine. It's scientifically proven, Kim, right? There you go. So Kim right. automatically is better than me tasting wine. But my thing on tasting wine is the more you taste, the more you will detect and the better you'll become not only learning what you like, but learning what those tastes are in wine. Right. And then that's kind of two different things. You know, learning what you like is one thing, but learning how to describe not only what you are experiencing in the wine so that you can have an educated conversation with somebody else about it, but being able to point out, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. Um, and that'll give you a better experience because then if you find certain styles of wines that you like and you can describe them appropriately, you're going to be able to find all sorts of new things that you hadn't tried before that you're really going to like. So I feel it's very valuable for people to be able to put into words what they're experiencing when they're tasting wine. Yeah. And the other way I look at that, Kim, it's a great way to test when you're buying wine, be it restaurant or retail, of testing that person selling the wine to you. If you say you like something and they're giving you something that is totally different than you describe, either they don't understand wine or their palate is totally, you'd have to say to them, your palate is totally different than mine because I didn't get this. Why did you get it? You can test people with that. Or they're just trying to sell you something. Yes. It could be that too. Exactly. So it is very important. In this article, they mentioned a couple interesting scientific tests, Kim. Let's talk about, I think there was what, two or two or three different tests? Two or tests? three, yeah. So the first one that they mentioned is something called the triangle test. I've never done this before, but I might want to experiment on my friends and do this triangle test. <laughs> so what it is, is that you are tasting wine with a buddy and your buddy has two different wines and three glasses. And so you, without you looking at what your buddy is doing, they are going to pour one wine into two glasses and then the other wine just into one glass. So you have two glasses glasses that are the same and one that is different. And you have to figure out which one is the different one. Now, the key here is that you're supposed to have two wines that are fairly similar to each other. So a Cabernet and a Merlot or two Cabernets or two Pinot Noirs, but not like a Pinot Noir and a Shiraz. Like that would be a little too different, but something that is similar enough that you're going to really have to concentrate and pay attention to the differences in the glasses. So give an example, Kim. 
what you would use to make because I, I like these type of tests but I hate when people try to go too crazy so like you said maybe two different Pinot Noirs similar regions similar styles or would you do one completely different style so you can they can definitely get the one I think it would depend on the level of the person doing the tasting I feel like if you are a, a, a true beginner and a true novice and really don't have any experience with wine tasting before then you can make them a little bit more different so maybe you want to do a California Pinot Noir and a Burgundy. You know, that's about as different as Pinot Noirs can get from each other. So more like something heavy style Pinot versus a traditional Pinot. Or a fruity Pinot versus yeah. a savory Pinot. So they automatically can detect that difference. But maybe they wouldn't be able to. And this is a, a where they're going to start learning so that then you can point out, okay, this one, these two are the fruitier style and this one is the more savory style. Let's talk about what we're experiencing with them and why they're different. Now, were they seeing, I know they weren't seeing what the wines were, but are they were they seeing the color of the wine? I believe so. Yes. So yeah, in there that wasn't case, anything about like hiding the color. In of the that wine. case, you're going to see two dark pinots that's and one light point. pinot. So I was. It didn't say about the glasses being no, able to see the color. But that's a really good you, idea. Okay. You would be able to see the different right away. I would. I would think even a novice mm-hmm. wine drinker. So all right, blindfolds then. Yeah. For this experiment, so, my friends are getting deeper and deeper into this. Uh, into I mean, this there's wine a lot of different game. ways you could you could do that, but it was an interesting. Yeah, test. I, and I. I like this idea. And you can do it with dry versus sweet. You can do it with, like we said, grape varieties. You can get as complicated or as simple as you want. So I think that this uh, this is a maybe fun thing that we could explore in wine club, perhaps. What about the next test, Kim? I've never done an acid test. They were talking about acid tests. Yeah. So this was about adding different amounts of, say, lemon juice into uh, glasses of water and to see if you can tell when the level of acidity is going up and up and up and up. Um, And I think that this is sometimes a difficult thing for people's palates to understand, especially if if you're new at it. And then if you have like fruitiness in the wine, then that is going to mask the acidity as well. So acid can be a little bit of a of a complicated uh, component to wine. So this was no wine, just water, just water and lemon, and lemon. juice. Yep, and in, in varying amounts and seeing if you can figure out which ones had higher levels of acid and which ones had lower levels of acid. Now, would that change the color of the water? If you put more lemon juice in one glass than the other, does it get darker? No, I'm not sure. I've never tried that either. No. It's another, another thing. I guess you could try, try it with white vinegar too, and then you really wouldn't see any change in color. But I'd rather drink lemon water than um, vinegar water. <laughs> Frankly. <laughs> is there a way you think it wasn't in this article, but you think there's a way you can do a, a test where people can detect bitterness, maybe using water and tea? Tea, there versus... and there are compounds that have a bitter component to them that you can have dissolved in water that will up the bitterness. There's there's a number of different things what that you, are safe that you, you can do that. What do you think is the most important thing for a person learning wine to do like a test for? Would it be uh, acidity, bitterness, fruit? What do you think is the key component? to learn the flavors of maybe smelling them honestly just the aromas yeah aromas yeah because that's that's its own yeah the fruit aromas or the floral aromas i think starting with fruit is a is a good place to start for the beginner because we talk about these fruity characteristics
characteristics in wine all the time without there necessarily being any fruit involved besides grapes. So being able to even just break it down into big categories can be very, very helpful. Am I smelling berry fruit? Am I smelling citrus fruit? Am I smelling orchardy, you know, apple fruit, stone fruit, like peaches and plums and apricots? And then getting a little bit more complicated, like, does this smell herbal? Does this smell floral? Does this smell earthy? And being able to train your nose, because I think that that is almost more important than training your palate, is training your nose. And we, I think we talked about this in the past, but the way I saw these scientific things about becoming a better taster was doing that with, with the scent kits. Mm-hmm. You know, pick one specific fruit uh, scent and like sniff it all day. And then your brain is going to say, yeah, cherry, cherry, cherry. And you mm-hmm. keep smelling it and or lavender or earthy or woody or whatever. And I never did it, but I think it's a very valuable tool. <laughs> I, sh- I should do a little bit more of that. But also, I mean, you don't need a smell kit. You can go to the grocery store and do the exact same thing. Buy a thing of strawberries and, you know, keep those strawberries around for the day and just keep on smelling those strawberries. Not only is it going to smell wonderful, you have strawberries to eat afterwards. What about, it, it, there was, it wasn't mentioned in this article also, Kim, but in the past I've seen color tests where you, you don't show the person the color of the wine mm. and you put a white and a red and they have to tell you without seeing it blindfolded, yeah. right? Is it a red or a white? Have you ever tried that? I never have, but I, they you know, you anecdotally I've, I've heard these stories where, you know, people have wine in a black glass or they've been blindfolded and they honestly can't tell if they're tasting a red wine or a white wine. I always wanted to try that too and I've never, because it seems so simple. Yeah, you it can does. tell, but I, I guess your brain, when it sees the colors, automatically detecting It's like, oh, I must red, be tasting cherry because yeah. this is a red wine. Yeah. Well, no, there, was, there wasn't any other in this article, right? Was that um, the only two? I mean, the, really the takeaway also was there are these sort of things that you can do that are kind of learning games, but then that what it's really what it really does take is time and practice. You can't get good at learning to taste wine without some practice. So get out tasting, there, tasting, taste, tasting. taste the wine, smell the wine, enjoy the wine, and write it down. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, where your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find Kim on her website at vinitaswineworks.com, and you can find myself at franklinliquors.com. Next, we have an article, Kim, that was an interesting space and wine story, right? So we're all things, we say the world of wine, but now we're talking the universe of wine because there's this French space startup company that wants to send wine into space. And I wrote down in my notes here, why, Kim? Why? What? what why is this a wine story? Right? I think this is really cool. I love space stuff. So I was very <laughs> excited about this article. So there's, like you said, a French startup that wants to send wine into space for a number of different reasons. One being to do research into microgravity and to see how wine reacts in, a, uh, in an environment that doesn't have a lot of gravity and that also has a lot of radiation. So what happens to the wine inside that bottle? What happens to those microorganisms inside that bottle of wine? Does the wine age at the same rate? I mean, eventually we're going to space, right? Might not be anytime soon that humanity is going to get up there and live there, but eventually we're probably going to go into space. And I, for one, want to know how my wine is going to react if first, we're up into first space. wine educator in space. That's mm, a big goal. That's a, that's, but not, but not <laughs> a goal for me. That could be a goal for somebody else. So they did launch 12 bottles in, in yep. November. So in November, they sent a dozen bottles soon. up to uh, the ISS, up to the 
space station. Um, but really what this article was focusing on was not so much about the kind of research that will be done on these wines or what what the ramifications of the research could be, but how is it being funded? Because it sure is expensive to send things up into space to do scientific experiments on them. So what this startup decided to do was to have it funded by what they're calling donor patrons. So have people who have loads of money who want to sponsor this research. And then at the end of it, they get a bottle of wine that has been in space and they can say, hey, this bottle of wine has been to space. So sort of bragging rights that they have something that uh, that you don't because their wine went into space. Yeah, they called it what a luxury box of yes, a luxury box of goodies. So there'd be wine in there. Then they didn't really talk about what else would be in that luxury box of goodies. But you can just imagine probably a very nice scarf or something. It's different. And they did say that in the past they sent scotch whiskey into space. I thought this was very fascinating. And it aged, what did it say, in two years, it aged five years' yeah, time? Yeah, So that was, I, I'm wondering what it's going to do the wine. And spirit. So I, I mean, spirits are so much more stable than wine. So if that's what happened to whiskey in space, what's going to happen to a bottle of Napa Cabernet up there? I'm very curious Do you to think out. people are gonna, will want to drink it? Or well, they're just going to say, that yeah, those, this was in space? I think you know? that those people that are fronting the money for it, no, are probably not going to open that bottle and be be drinking it. But I think that they are saving a couple of those bottles to do experiments on and to taste them and to see what happens to that to the wine inside that bottle. Do you think a winery is going to jump all over this? You know, five cases were in space of our hundred case vintage. Quite possibly. You can buy, that would be huge. You could be a huge money maker. How expensive would that screaming eagle be? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, if it went I, into I space as well. They were also saying they were worried that a part of the space thing was they worried that the glass was going to shatter yep. and things of like that. But I didn't see, did it say how they were going to prevent that? No, they didn't go into detail as to far as how is it was how it was packaged. But it does sound like it was being sent up in glass bottles with cork closure and, you know, the ordinary way that we that we have a wine bottle. So there wasn't any special um, packaging for the wine. They would just have to protect it incredibly well so that when it goes up into space and there's all sorts of rattling around that uh, that nothing happens to the glass. Because I can't imagine that they uh, send an awful lot of glass up into space. No, no. it's It was uh, very different. And then you mentioned about the two of the issues they were saying could happen is the radiation. And then they were talking about zero gravity, but there's really no such thing. It's free fall right. gravity. So, so it's microgravity because there's a tiny little bit of gravity. So and we talk about when wines are on a plane, they say it changes the flavor of the wine. So now you're talking how much higher. Right? But I think so, that might be more our perception and not necessarily that the wine is doing something in that higher elevation. It's just that we can't necessarily smell it or taste it the right way when we are at higher elevation. Well, there is a thing that's been scientific about the altitude sickness of a, of bottle, a bottle of wine. Huh. That it needs okay. to that it needs to rest when I mean, they used to fly things over in Concord and stuff. But hmm. they say that's I need a to do sickness. more research into that then. I, I've never tasted it, but hmm. I've have seen with some they'll say, Oh, this just came in and it needs to rest a little bit. Yeah, but I thought that was more just for the, the jiggling Shipping of the wine. Too, and not but, necessarily because it was in a plane. Yeah, huh. both. I'm both gonna ways. do some more research on yeah. that. Thank we, you for we'll that idea. Do, we'll have to do a whole show on that. 
that yeah. segment. But I, I just, I like this idea of, you know, doing something a little bit different and out of the ordinary. And yes, it sort of seems frivolous, but I think that testing what wine does up in space uh, sort of opens a lot of doors for other scientific experiments, probably would be paving the way for, um, you know, other agricultural and biological experiments. So I think that this is something that has piqued my interest, and I'm going to be uh, following the story going forward. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. You can find us on Facebook and leave us your questions and comments, and we can be found there at The Wonderful World of Wine. And we are also on Twitter, at Wine Education.